I'm Jeff Cohen. Ashley Blaker is an internationally acclaimed comedian who's appeared on TV and radio around the world. His current show on BBC Radio 4 is called Ashley Blaker 6.5 Children. You may also recognize him from his off-Broadway shows Goy Friendly and Strictly Unorthodox. He says touring as an Orthodox Jewish comedian has its challenges, and one in particular. The comedy world is very anti-religion. People have got a very dismissive attitude. Like if you were going to do a show about Judaism, it's more appealing to go, this is where I was and I'm going to tell you about it from having left, rather than kind of going towards. I think that's a much harder sell. As a one-time aspiring comedian, I can't wait to talk with Ashley Blaker about his career and his journey to Jewish observance. Ashley, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. And I have to tell you, before we uh, jump into your journey, I am just uh, so curious about your comedy career. Did you know at a young age that that was where you were headed? Yes and no. Uh, I think so. Apparently, I used to do routines when I was like three years old. And I think I... Like at high school, when I was asked by the careers counsellor what I wanted to do, I actually said a comedian, but it took a kind of weirdly circuitous route to actually get there. But I would say in a nutshell, in a word, yes. <laughs> Bit of hashgacha, a lot of hashgacha practice, a lot of weird kind of uh, heavenly guidance needed to get there. All right, and I look forward to uh, unraveling how this all worked in the comedy career. Let's go back to, you mentioned age three. What was your perspective and your, your family life in terms of Judaism at that point while you were being raised? Uh, we had a very, in the UK, traditional kind of background. I've done a lot of interviews over the years where people, particularly in the United States, where people have identified me as a Baltashuva. For those who don't know what that means, somebody who becomes observant later in life. And I've done interviews with, you know, people from the big papers and magazines like Mishpacha and things like that. And when I've described my upbringing, they've said, you're not a Baltashuva. That's not a Baltashuva at all. Baltashuva, like in an American context, is someone who grows up doing nothing, you know, not even knowing there's such a thing as Shabbos, not keeping kosher, not doing anything. And we did that. I went to shul every week growing up, didn't ever eat non-kosher meat we had a what in the uk is a very traditional upbringing i think that kind of judaism doesn't really exist in the united states at least anymore so for me shabbos was a time to go to shul in the morning see friends have lunch then turn on the tv go out maybe go shopping see my grandparents and stuff the great thing was when i did become more observant later in life i had a very good grounding i think some people become more orthodox more interested they have to learn out of base they have to learn how to read hebrew and whatever you within a few weeks of becoming more observant i was leading the prayers davening from the armad i could lane i was a decent balkara so i could it's kind of weird that i could do that so you really had the the foundation i think you're right because the things you mentioned eating kosher going to a jewish school keeping shabbos i think do check most of the boxes of what an american would say is already observant i know exactly if if you know if you can look at a chumash open a chumash and see all those dots and go yeah you know and kind of do all that kind of like know the difference between uh, all of those different things then you you can't really call yourself a Baltashiva. i remember a great story somebody once told me i've read it i've seen it several times that uh, <laughs> they were lining up to see the rebbe on a friday before shabbos to get a bracha 
and uh, the Rebbe asked the boy, what yeshiva do you go to? And he said, I go to Osemech, but I'm not a Baal And the Rebbe said, and why not? You know, so, uh, you know, anyone can be a Baal <laughs> But you then said as you got a little bit older, maybe the university years or, or afterward that you became more observant. So what, what does that mean to you in compared to what you were doing as a child? What were well, some no, of the we additional things? We, we didn't, as I say, that's a very, in the UK, and I know in South Africa, and I've been all over the world performing, so I've seen lots of, and I've stayed with lots of different Jews and been to lots of different communities. In South Africa and Australia, and you know, there's also a few places in Canada I've been to where there is that more traditional Judaism. People do, it is like the done, actually, I think South Africa even more than the UK, Everyone goes to shul at the weekend, sticky on a Friday night, you know, even if they don't keep Shabbos. So Judaism, to me, didn't have that actual strict observance, that sense of it's just stuff you did, traditional stuff you did, not actually thinking about it too carefully about actually trying to keep Shabbos or trying to fulfill those mitzvahs in any kind of meaningful way. So um, that's really what it was about, I guess. So then take me inside those university years, you're you said when you were three, you were thinking about comedy already. So where are you comedy-wise in those years? Where are you Judaism-wise? How are those two pieces intermingling at that point in your life? So at that point, I mean, I, I'm not very interested in Judaism at all. And uh, comedy, weirdly, actually, the funny thing is, I, so I went, to, I was an undergraduate at Oxford, and a lot of great comedians have been to Oxford and Cambridge and kind of went up with the idea of uh, becoming doctors and lawyers and being very interested in their studies and getting seduced by comedy and I've always been you know I've, I'm just one of those people who goes against the grain I'm a bit of an iconoclast whatever I do and I, I so I went to Oxford kind of with thinking I was just going to do comedy and became seduced by the work so yeah I kind of in a way did less and less comedy as, as, as the university went on weirdly that's such a me thing to do. So I did do stuff in my first year. I did a show. I did a, a, a play, a comedy play I wrote. And then I just got less interested in it. So I don't know. I like doing things my own way. But then there must be a point where things turn. Either you had a break or you met someone that kind of reinvigorated the comedy piece of your life. Absolutely. No, I did. I was. Uh, so what happened was, it's an amazing story, as I said, of, of Hashgacha Pratis, those that would anyone everyone listening to this know what that means should I it's always good for our listeners to just translate the words okay so divine providence this idea is that you know god didn't just create the world but runs it on a day-to-day -day basis and you know you see the the, the work and the hand of uh, hashem all the time so i was a i left i was an undergraduate at oxford i was a graduate at cambridge and i was unemployed I, I left and didn't know what to do i really had no idea at all what to do with my life I was out for a drink with a couple of former teachers of mine from high school. And one of them said to me, I said, I just not only don't have a job, I don't even have any idea of what I would like to do. It's not even like I was kind of couldn't get the job. So I wasn't even applying for anything. And he said, why don't you look in the Guardian newspaper? It's one of the broadsheet newspapers here in the UK. Quite a left-wing paper, not a paper I'd read. Uh, we bought in our house. And he said on a Monday morning, they have adverts in the media. They have a media section. They have interesting adverts. Maybe you'd find something. This was a Thursday evening. Four days later, I bought the newspaper for the very first time. And there was an advert in it that said, do you have funny bones? The BBC needs <laughs> trainee comedy producers. And that advert was only in the paper, I think, 
for what I believe one week only. And there it was. I saw it the right time, applied, got the job and started work at the BBC. And then, yeah, just one thing, you know, falls into place and, and, and more things fall into place. And then actually, as it happens, you mentioned there about bumping into people. I bumped into an old friend, someone, but someone who I'd been at a touch with. About a week before I started work, I bumped into someone in London and someone I was at school with and said I had this new job and he wanted to do something. We said, we'll do something together. And it became an incredibly successful BBC comedy show. All because I had this job, all because I bumped into someone at the right time. You know, you could bump into I bump into people in the street all the time, you, you know, but you bump into people at the point that will make the biggest impact in their lives. And funnily enough, this person in his autobiography actually wrote a whole bit about this meeting, about how it was the meetings that changed his life. So, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And then around that time, Jewishly, I, I started, we, I got married. And when we got married, so they do this thing in the UK. When you get married, you get free membership. If you get married in an Orthodox shul, you get, you get free membership to the synagogue of your choice. And so we joined the synagogue nearest our new home. And I went along and, and an incredibly smiley, friendly rabbi basically kind of hooked me in. He was the kind of the I've often joked about him being like the, the drug dealer, just uh, <laughs> starting off small with the kind of gateway stuff and then kind of luring you in. I find it very hard to say no to stuff, I should say. That's why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, <laughs> nice. And uh, he said he said to me, like, what well, he obviously saw I was keen. I went like maybe two weeks running. And then he said, what are you doing this afternoon? Because we struggled to get a minion for on a Saturday evening. I, I probably just couldn't think of a way, an excuse. So I went and then, and then he said, well, what are you doing on Sunday mornings? Because we often struggle. And then it was Monday mornings, Tuesday mornings. You know, by the end of the week, I was like going every day. So I kind of had no choice. So this is what I'm so curious about. I want to parallel path your comedy career and your Jewish journey at this point. Because if I go back to that time period you were talking about, kind of that early 20s, I also was thinking about becoming a stand-up comedian. And I performed in my 20s probably 50 or 60 times at Caroline's Stand Up New York Comedy Cellar, the comic strip. And what I discovered is that the people who really went for it, they didn't also try to pursue an alternative career. You had to be really all in on comedy. And I never left my day job. And I think that had a lot to do with not having both feet in. Whereas the job that you took from that advertisement kind of pushed you on that path where you were, were all in. Do you ever think about that, of, of how committed you were at that age and how that may have played into your success? Um, I think you're right. I mean, I should say I wasn't a performer then. It was only about five years ago that... But again, another completely serendipitous sequence of events got into performing again. And I think, again, you do have to go all in. And I think you're entirely right about not having another job and not... It's very difficult. You can't... I don't think you can do other stuff. That's right. I mean, the, the, interestingly, the thing what you were saying about the parallels, for me, the parallels uh, between that and my religious journey, they're very intertwined. They're really intertwined because... I had done some stand-up when I was like a teenager, like 16, 17, 18. I was very precocious. And I wasn't bad, actually, I must say. I, mean, I wasn't great by any means, but certainly for that age, I think I was pretty good. But I didn't really have anything to say because you don't really, like, what are you going to talk about at that age? You don't really have any life experiences or anything to kind of really talk about. And I kind of, you know, one thing and another, work, have you then getting a job, 
in the BBC, but as a writer and producer, not as a performer, it kind of fell by the wayside. And it was only late years later, having become more observant, that it gave me something to talk about. I and mean, certainly that's not why I did it, but the the suddenly I found something that I was interested to talk about. And then you move on, and I mean, now I feel like I've moved on. I've kind of done that, and I'm kind of more interested in talking about other stuff. So they're for me, they're very much intertwined. And what about the part that there are really so many Jewish comedians out there? Mm. You have a difference in being an observant Jewish comedian. Do you see a difference in the kind of material they can do versus what you can do as you're trying to sort of meld in the Torah values of certain material maybe you do or don't want to do? Or do you feel like you have the, the same openings as a secular Jewish comedian? Uh, you know, he giveth with one hand, he taketh away with another. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, there's pros and cons on both sides. There's a huge range of materials that I can do that someone who isn't observant or doesn't have any great knowledge can't do, uh, admittedly for a certain audience. I mean, that's the downside. You know, I've done material on, you know, every aspect of Orthodox Jewish life and Larry David's not going to be doing material on that kind of minutiae of Jewish life. Uh, but as I say, I mean, you can't do that on HBO. There's a time and a place for that stuff. So, you know, there's pros and cons. I mean, I think that the, the challenge I, I find, and I think that one of the things that I've kind of found an interesting struggle over the last few years is then not to be pigeonholed in a certain area. Something which is why I'm happy to do, you know, and I get asked all the time to, well, certainly pre-pandemic and and hopefully uh, when we start traveling again once again we'll do this soon i'm hoping to come back to the united states after yonta all being well that uh performing for orthodox jewish crowds all over the united states at big events charity dinners and all those kind of things sometimes in shuls you know i'm happy to do all that stuff and it's great and it's really enjoyable it's really enjoyable to perform those kind of in jokes as it were and without having to kind of explain what a mezuzah is or explain what to fill in are. So you can just do a joke about wearing to fill in or you can do a joke about Chabad and you don't really have to explain what that is or whatever. But for the wider world, I, I try to not do so much that because I think that the, yeah, otherwise you just get pigeonholed that that's the one thing you do. And I, I think that's a, a dangerous thing to, to do. Can you tell when you look out into the audience kind of what the makeup of the crowd is, if it's predominantly observant people, if it's a mix of Jewish, non-Jewish, does that guide what you're going to talk about? No, uh, no, because I don't really work like that because I don't, I, you know, I, I'd really know well in advance what I'm doing. I mean, it depends what kind of scenario you're talking about, really. I'm not a club comedian. I mean, so I perform, like, so if I'm doing a theatre show, I mean, by and large, you depend, some theatre, you know, lights in your eye, you can't see anything anyway, the audience. Um, <laughs> and I don't really change the material in that way. I would know what I'm doing. Like, if you're doing an off-Broadway show, you know, you do, I've done two, and you're doing the same material every night, by and large. You're doing the same show. The first show I did was called Strictly Unorthodox and was very much aimed at a Jewish crowd. I think a few non-Jews came, but it was very much aimed at a Jewish crowd. So that show, that that's what it was written for. This next show, called Goy Friendly, was, but as its title suggested, Goy, was Goy Friendly, and had materials that was for everyone. And so... Every night, what the or every performance, some daytimes, what the makeup of that audience, what percentage Jewish, what percentage not Jewish, what percentage from, not from, I couldn't tell you. 
but it doesn't matter because that's the show I've written is for everyone. You have to make it as accessible as possible. Right. And so you mentioned your two off-Broadway shows. Let's go into your latest project, Ashley Blaker, 6.5 Children, which I know you're doing for BBC Radio 4. I wanted yeah. to play a clip from that show to sure. give our listeners a, a sense of it. A key component of doing Orthodox Judaism properly seemed to be having lots of children. Everyone I knew had loads of kids and, well, I guess I wanted to keep up with the Coens. Look at that. They're bringing home another baby. Not another one. Honestly, there are friends of mine who keep having children to the point I no longer know how many they've got. It's a bit like the Fast and the Furious movies. You think, can they really still be making them? Surely they've made enough of them by now. But no, every year they knock out another one and you have no idea what number it is anymore. And like the Fast and the Furious movies, the kids will cost the people who produce them a small fortune, but unlike the movies, you have almost no hope of making your money back. So I have to tell you two reasons I love that bit. First of all, you say keeping up with the Cohen. So for myself, having the name Jeff Cohen, it of course speaks to me. But secondly, when I was first becoming observant, I innocently said to someone, oh, how many kids do you have or how many grandkids do you have? And they said, we, we don't count them. And I learned it had something to do with, uh, you know, bringing on the Ayan Hara where people might be jealous that you're able to have kids and they're not. What, what was kind of the, the background in your mind to that specific bit? Um, so, yes, yeah, so go to the uh, BBC, if you just Google Ashley Blaker's 6.5 Children, you'll find all the whole series is available online. So, funnily enough, actually, I think it, there was a... I've done a bit about that Ayan Hara thing, uh, and there was in that in that episode that's the first episode of, of that series and there was a bit about how like i had the same thing when i first became more orthodox i met someone i asked like how many children do you have and he went like um, <laughs> uh, uh, more than a basketball team but fewer than a baseball team <laughs> that's a big range uh, uh, yeah I, I don't know i don't know what that means what does that mean what six seven eight you know and and, and he was, i can't tell you so yeah it's funny i actually i i now do this myself if anyone at my synagogue asks how many children we have i would say more than the gospels but fewer than the disciples <laughs> they've got no idea and they're afraid to ask a follow-up question yeah exactly they have no idea yeah so Basically, I mean, this, as it happens, this so this series is really kind of like I would say not so Jewish, but you've you've found that one bit from the first episode. I kind of felt like the first episode is about having a larger family. We've got six children, which in the you know maybe in the Orthodox Jewish world is slightly below average. But um, when I perform for non-Jews, people go, "Wow, six children! That's ridiculous." <laughs> so I want, I felt like I needed to explain why we had so many children. So. That's about giving a bit of context about living in a community where people just seem to be having children the whole time. So I felt like, uh, yeah, it kind of puts a, a weird sense of pressure on you. For sure. I'm talking today with comedian Ashley Blaker. So let's play one more clip from the show. And I think those of us who have gone through coronavirus and have had dealt with our children being home and having to be more involved in schooling than normal will certainly relate to this clip. It was time to get to grips with the curriculum. OK, look, I think I've got it. From 9 to 10, Netflix. 10 to 11, Amazon Prime. 11 to 1, Disney Plus. Then you can have an hour for lunch. While watching TikTok. It's your time. Do what you like. Back at 1.30 for an hour of Amazon Prime and then end the day with another hour of Netflix. Sound OK? Do you think we could also do some history and geography? 
so if only streaming services really could step in and take care of educating our children. But I really know that a lot of parents are now finding it difficult to wean their kids off of all the technology that they were relying on as some of the schools open up. What's your what's your perspective on this bit? So that's from episode four, which is all which is called lockdown. It's all about parenting during lockdown, how it was a really difficult time, but also how in the end maybe we'll look back on it actually as a golden period in our lives. Uh, and you know, in many ways it was. Uh, certainly, if you didn't get ill. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, the the horse had already bolted in terms of. Um, the electronics and the devices and what have you and you know more power to ultra orthodox world that doesn't allow any of those things and i know some of the schools here some of the like uh, day schools were insisting that they didn't use zoom or any of those things you had to phone in and they were doing all kinds of yeah less technologically advanced methods to reach the kids but like for those of us that aren't quite there you know it's wow it's it the horse has bolted so you know good luck shutting the stable door now <laughs> i'm having the same problem with my kids because they just got so used to it over the last 18 months i want to now kind of go back into we were talking before about this parallel path of having a comedy career going and living an observant life do you find any specific challenges of juggling the two at the same time versus if you were just a comedian and religion was not a part of your life. What are a couple of the challenges you face? You know, all those challenges over Shabbos observance and Yom Tov observance. So all of those things, not working at weekends, Friday nights. I mean, I, you know, my shows in New York, obviously the shows were dark on days when every other show is they're dark on Monday, you know, and I, I, I'm not going to be dark on Monday because we're dark on Friday night. And um, so all those kind of challenges, obviously challenges over food, depending on where you live it's you know it's why i love being in new york and performing shows there yeah, I mean, it's not even like it's just not an issue but when i did the edinburgh festival for example it's a lot more challenging also i think more generally it's interesting people are quite i've noticed over the years people are very dismissive of people, we live in a very secular culture in the united states in the western world and what have you and particularly the comedy world the comedy world is very sector very anti-religion very people have got a very dismissive attitude like if you were going to do a show about judaism they kind of more interested if i think if it was the kind of are you i suppose a bit like the um my unorthodox life on netflix and that kind of thing it's more appealing to go this is where i was and i'm going to tell you about it from having left rather than kind of going towards i think that's a much harder sell do you find that you meet people, say, after shows, maybe even younger people who are observant already are thinking, oh, I want to be a comedian too, and they're kind of asking you, can you balance the two? Can you be in a comedy career, any really any kind of entertainment career? Yeah, loads of people have said to me over the years that I kind of inspired them, whether they've got anywhere with it yet, but like inspired them to either to go down that path or to, if not quite comedy performing, to maybe that they'd want to work in TV or they want to work in entertainment in general or a different kind of job or just do some things that they thought maybe wasn't so open to them. You know, and that's great. When I hear things like that, I'm always pleased. It's nice to inspire people in that way. It's very nice to hear that. Do you see that funny bone in any of your kids? Like you talk about in, a, in an observant family by passing on the family business. So my show, my series, actually Blake and Six Point Five Children, my real children are in the show. They're in, they make cameo appearances and some of them are very funny. And, but I mean, that, you know, that's up to them. I wouldn't. <laughs> it's a tough business, that's for sure. It's a very tough business. 
tough, frustrating business and very competitive. And when you talk to your children, uh, not about comedy, but about Judaism, what are some of the goals you share with them, either for them as they're growing up or for your family in general? What do you think about from a Jewish perspective, I would say the next three to five years you'd, you'd like to see happen for your family? You know, you, you listen to a lot of rabbis speaking and parenting shurim and stuff. And, you know, I certainly I know lots of people, fellow Bertashiva, but also just fellow Orthodox Jews who've got very, very fixed mindset of what they want for their children. The path they want, the yeshivas they want them to go to, the shaduchim they want them to have and all, all of this stuff. And I really, my wife and I both vehemently feel that while you might have a preference, we're really not very dogmatic in that way. I think, you know, we we both appreciate the fact that we've made choices in our lives. Uh, my wife had a similar upbringing to mine, actually probably uh, less, slightly less observant. And we've had, you know, we, we've gone on our own journey and made our own decisions as years have gone on. And I think we very much feel that our children, you, you want to raise your children to have the confidence to make the choices that are right for them. So I, I kind of don't want to enforce on them. All we can do is, is try and show them what we think is the right way, and but they'll, they'll do what they like. Yeah, I always tell my kids that I came to this later in life, so I feel like I had a choice. And they might think, well, I'm being raised with it, and therefore I don't have a choice. But I want them to be choosing it every day and fall in love with this type of life and feel excited about it so that when they become an adult and they're not you know, living with my, my wife and I anymore, they're still feeling like they're choosing it every day and they're happy about that choice. So I find that that is connected to not forcing my perspective on them. I want them to find what sort of ignites that flame for them so that they're passionate about it in their own right. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I mean, I think that's right. I heard a Rosh Yeshiva was saying we went to something, and this is some years ago, but they had somebody came to one of the children's day schools and was saying, you know, whatever your child gets into, if your child is interested in uh, baseball, if your child is interested in model aeroplanes or whatever, you just get into it with them, encourage them and share a passion. And I think, you know, you just want to see the children be passionate about stuff and be interested and not be sat just watching screens and what have you. And I think uh, that for sure is something that I, I think can all be helpful. So Ashley, I wanted to tell you that we like to, at the end of all of our segments with all of our guests, we do a lightning round, which I have a feeling, given your career, you're going to be fantastic at. And I'm going to ask you five super fast questions. All right. So don't think too much on them. And the, the first thing that pops in your head. Okay. Okay. All right. So this is the category is Jewish favorites. And the first question is, what is your favorite Jewish food? Favorite Jewish food? I think challah. It's better than bread. Is there a particular well, kind that you like? I mean, home-baked, always home-baked. There's something about, you know, there's some foods, like weirdly pizza, even though, so pizza's baked in the oven and what have you, but somehow pizzerias you can never do because it needs like that special stone oven and whatever. Like no one's home pizza is ever as good as the pizza you get in a pizza store. But <laughs> challah, no challah you ever buy at a bakery will ever be as good as someone's home-baked challah. There's something about it, it's amazing. And what is your favorite mitzvah and why? My favorite mitzvah, I always think, I've thought about this a lot over the years, my favorite mitzvah is, I think, making a Kiddush Hashem. Uh, like, things like I've been really annoyed in a store, they, the store clerk is not serving you when you want to, not doing this, not doing that. And I've kind of bit my tongue and not said anything, because I just don't want to make a Kiddush Hashem. I'm so 
keen to make sure to make a Kiddush Hashem. So, yeah, making a Kiddush Hashem, avoiding a Chil Hashem would be my answer. Okay, and your favorite Jewish holiday? Favorite Jewish holiday? Um, I like Sukkot. I think I'd say Sukkot. I was going to say how much I dislike Purim. I did a video with uh, the late Rabbi Sachs about how I dislike Purim so much that you can find on YouTube. But um, Sukkot I really like. I've got a lovely Sukkot. We have an indoor Sukkot that opens up. And it's a really, you know, it means you can do it in a gishmak way. You really feel like you're doing, you know, you, you, when it first became observant, we had like one of those really horrible pop-up suckers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the UK, it's cold and dark and wet and, oh, ugh. You just really feel like, oh, this, is, this isn't good. I'm not enjoying This isn't yum to <laughs> And then, yeah, I really enjoy suckers. It's, it's got Arba Minim. It's got... It's got everything you want out of a yontif. But you're not having it's got eight days, it's got cholamoid, you can go trips, and you can go and eat and what have you. So, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say sukkahs. Fair enough. And what is your favorite Hebrew or Yiddish expression? And can you translate it for our listeners? You know those very yeshivish from speak that um, people, instead of saying at, they'll say by, they'll go like, oh, I'm, I'm eating by the Cohens today. We're eating sure. by the, yeah. And all of that. I love that. I love, I love hearing those things. Very good. Okay, last lightning round question. Okay, so what is your favorite site to visit in Israel besides the Kotel? Favorite place to go would probably be McDonald's. Uh, there's something, <laughs> or, or Bur- if then whenever, I think they have some kosher Burger King. There's something incredibly exciting about being able to do those things in Eretz Yisrael that uh, we don't have outside of um actually i think there's a kosher mcdonald's in buenos aires in in uh, argentina but apart from that uh, you have to go to eric ashley i want to thank you so much for joining us today real pleasure. pleasure and please keep an eye out for his 2022 tour based on his bbc radio 4 show ashley blaker 6.5 children thank you so much for today all right pleasure saturday to shabbos is produced by gary wallach Our executive producer is Rabbi David Pardo. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.